Welcome to the Biz Bash podcast, where we make biz strategy a piece of cake. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Cammie, but you might know us better as Eliza and Calligraphy and Cammie Monet. We want to help you, our fellow stationers, artists, and calligraphers, confidently build a profitable and personality-driven creative biz. We're here to share our honest-to-goodness advice and actionable strategies for ambitious artists. So put on your party hat, quit being a procrastinator gator, and let's get this party started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Biz Bash podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us who is going to be talking to us all about how to actually make the leap and quit your day job. So we have Kathy Heller with us today. So Kathy is the host of Don't Keep Your Day Job, this amazing podcast that is literally mind-blowingly off the charts on iTunes. Um, and she also is about to release her new book of the same title, Don't Keep Your Day Job. And that is coming out on October 29th. Is that right, Kathy? It's actually November 12th. November 12th. Just kidding. JK on that (laughs) one, you guys. But her new book's about to be released. So Kathy is all about encouraging you guys to find more purpose in your life and your business and get paid to do what you love full time. So we're going to have an awesome conversation with her. We're just going to dive right in. So Kathy, can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I love your work. Both of you are so talented and I love meeting a community of creatives. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, so yeah, I came out to Los Angeles 16 years ago. I cannot believe that it went so fast. And I wanted to be a songwriter. And as I was growing up, I just never thought there was any other job for a songwriter other than being so famous. Like I thought, okay, so if, if what you want to do is be creative, I thought if you were a visual artist, you'd have to be Van Gogh. And if you were a, a someone who wrote songs, you'd have to like sell out stadium tours. Like I never saw any other path. And so I came out to LA like, all right, I'm going to get a record deal. That's the plan. That's the goal. That's all there is. It's that or nothing. And these are the days of like American Idol where it was first all starting. And that's what people thought. And I came out here and I worked super hard to get a record deal. And it was was not an overnight thing, but within two years, I actually did get a record deal at Interscope. I was actually sitting with Lady Gaga at Sunset Sounds. She was recording paparazzi and I had just gotten signed to the label. It was pretty awesome. And when all that was happening, I was like, wow, this is it. I'm here. It's like, you know, the dream. And about six months later, I was driving in my car and my producer, Ron Fair, called me and said, we're going to have to drop you from the label. And I was devastated. I felt like I had met the Wizard of Oz and he was like, I can't do anything for you. I thought there's nothing else. Like what else am I supposed to do? It wasn't like there was like a a secondary position where you could somehow then be paid. It was either like you're you're the star or you're not. So everyone started to say, okay, this is what we told you would happen. Now you have to quote unquote grow up and quote unquote get real and quote unquote get a practical job and be an adult. And um And people said, don't you know, this is what it's like. This is what life is. Like, we don't live in a fairy tale. You can be happy on the weekends. You can be happy when you retire. You need to spend your days like, you know, sitting at a desk and being realistic. And I was like, okay, that's great. That sounds realistic, you know? So I started to look for day jobs and I got a job at a nonprofit because I thought, well, at least if I'm going to have a job, like I'll just try to do something good for the world. And 
nonprofits turn out to be super dysfunctional and stressful. So I left that job. And then a friend said to me, if you're not going to do what you love, you should just make money. Because if you're just going to be working, make as much money as you can. So she introduced me to somebody who worked in commercial real estate. He lived in Brentwood and had hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was like, you could work for me. I'm like, okay. And I worked for him for a year. And I was like, this is so empty. Like, okay, I can buy whatever jeans I want and I can eat spicy tuna rolls every night, but I'm not happy. Like, I'm just making money and I'm a moneymaker. Like, this doesn't feel like me. And I then tried like another creative job. My friend's like, well, maybe you should go back to doing something creative that's not as hard as the thing you really love. So I took an interior design class and I was like, I'm not good at this. Like, this is also hard. So one day I'm driving in my car again because everyone's always driving in LA because there's so much traffic. And I pulled over and I was crying. I was like, I feel like a guitar that instead of being a guitar, I'm like holding a potted plant, like in the circle of the guitar. Like I felt like I wasn't being used to do what I'm supposed to do. I felt like I wasn't uh, like being myself. And I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. And I felt invisible. You know, I was like sitting at a desk and I was like, this isn't me. I felt like Barbie, like, astronaut Barbie, vet Barbie, like trying on all these costumes and miserable inside. And I thought there's got to be a way. And I wound up asking myself, is there any other way for me to do music? Is there any other way other than being like Taylor Swift or Beyonce? And I found out a week later, I was talking to a friend. I asked that question out loud. She said, you know, I just read a Billboard magazine. They were talking about how some artists license their songs and their songs are in TV shows and movies and ads for Kellogg's and Walmart. And I said, what? What does that mean? She's like, yeah, I just read a whole article. You should just go grab the magazine. So I read the article and I was sitting there thinking, this is amazing. Like there are all these indie artists I didn't know who were making a living, writing their own records and they were you know, licensing music. People were paying them to have songs in TV and film. So I thought I'm going to hustle my butt off and I'm going to figure out who I need to meet and what songs they need and I'm going to make this work. And I did. And it took me like 18 months or so until I got my first song on my first show. But I started writing songs that would wind up on shows like One Tree Hill and Switched at Birth and then ads like Walmart and Target and Kellogg's and Coca-Cola and American Airlines. And I was, I was just shocked. I started making six figures, multi six figures. And then I was written about in all of these magazines. like Variety wrote a full-page article about me. Billboard wrote a full-page article about it and put a picture of me. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't believe how unique this is. It didn't seem so newsworthy, but it seemed like it was. And then long story short, all these other artists started to ask me if I could help them. And so some artists happened to live out here in LA and I would have coffee dates with people and I would give people encouragement and tell them what I had to do to figure out who were the people choosing songs and what kinds of songs people needed and what the kind of lyrics were and what the kind of production sounds were like. And after a while, I started being interviewed on music podcasts and I started being asked to speak at music schools and fly out to different colleges. And shortly after that, a lot of artists started asking me if I would start an agency where I would pitch them. And then people asked me if I would teach an online course where I would actually teach this and break it down. And I really resisted both of those things. And then I finally said, why not? Like, let me do both of those things also. So I started an agency helping other artists. And then I started a class online called Six Figure Songwriting. 
And I kept my own songwriting going. And would you believe that it only helped me as a songwriter? I only started getting more work. Then the agency grew. I started helping other songwriters make literally multi six figures. I started helping that happen. And then the class started to help so many artists and the class itself started making $1.5 million a year, just the class. And I was like, what is going on? Um, And then what wound up happening is one of my students in my class said to me, you should start a podcast because your message and all of the ways that you help people break down how to do something creative and monetize it. She said, it really relates to every creative person, like anybody who has a dream job. And I said, okay. So I started a podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And that was um, two and a half years ago. And it's just like, whoa, like it just really took off. And then I wrote a book and now I do courses and workshops and retreats where I teach all creative people, like how do you get to live life on your terms? And yeah, that's my story. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And that gives us such a better picture too, because when we go to your website now, you know, like Cami and I did our research and looked at your Instagram and your website, you don't necessarily like get that full picture of where you started till now because now you've you're just pushing forward to help others. So yeah. I love that our audience can really hear that like you started at the beginning because that's where a lot of the people are that listen to this. Yeah. And everyone has a beginning point and has to maybe change a couple different times before they really find what's what's the best fit for them. And it sounds like you have had some incredible guests on your podcast and 9 million downloads, which is absolutely insane. So are there any go-to episodes you can think of right now that our audience should kind of tune in and listen to? Any favorites of yours? Oh, yeah. Well, for your audience in particular, I think that you would love Joy Cho. Has she been on your show? Mm-mm, no. She's amazing because she is a designer and does a lot of graphics and visual, like hand lettering, all kinds of things. And she talked about how she was able to build this huge empire and build her big business. And it really came from reaching out to, um, she would reach out to brands on LinkedIn and she would say, okay, hi, Johnson and Johnson. I see that you're making band-aids, but what if I could design this for your band-aids? And she would like reach out with a proposal And a lot of people said, cool, let's try this. And she started to really grow a big business. And another person who's in a similar space is Amy Tangerine. Do you guys know her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. And she wrote a book called Craft a Life You Love. And she comes from also the hand lettering space. And she went on to design stickers and all kinds of notebooks and all kinds of accessories. And she has a great story too about how she collaborates with brands and also does passion projects like murals and things like that. Um, And then outside of this sort of more artistic space, well, I'll say one more on the artistic space would be Lisa Congdon. Do you guys know who she is? Oh, yeah. I love her stuff. (laughs) She's amazing. And what's incredible about her is when she was on my show, she talked about how she only first quit her day job when she was 40. And she didn't start really making any money with her art until she was like 45, 46. And now she's 54 and she's really thriving and she's one of the most renowned designers. And she didn't even begin until after 40. And um, 
I think that's super inspiring. But in addition to sort of the designer hand letterer folks, we've had some amazing stories and amazing people on the show, including Howard Schultz, who created Starbucks as we know it today. What's amazing about Howard's story is that he was um, he was born into a family that was really suffering from poverty, and people just would never assume that. He lived in a tiny apartment in public housing in a tenement with his parents and his two siblings. And they were given food by Jewish family services because they had nothing. They literally had, they didn't have two pennies to rub together. And he now is worth three and a half billion dollars. It's an incredible story. Um, We've also had people on the show like the actress Jenna Fisher, who's awesome from The Office. And Mm -hmm. she has a great story about how she found her way into acting. And she has a lot of great advice for people about really looking for what you are meant to do and and letting the universe sort of guide you there and and trusting that you'll be led to where you're supposed to be. Um, we had Tamara Mellon on who started Jimmy Choo. And that's an amazing story because she was actually in rehab. She had been fired as a assistant accessories editor at Vogue because she was really at a low point in her life. And she was in rehab when she decided, you know what, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to make something of my life and I'm going to design my own shoes. And she told the story about how long it took her to finally making the the shoe that became Jimmy Choo. And Jimmy Choo, funny enough, was the name of a cobbler in the East End of London who did the physical labor on the shoe. And she just loved his name. It's a great name. And um, she tells the story about how Candace Bushnell, who was the creator of Sex and the City, walked into her 300 square foot shop and bought two pairs of shoes. One, one pair for herself and one pair for Sarah Jessica Parker and the rest is history huh. because those, <laughs> those shoes became like a character on Sex and the City. Um, it's just been amazing to talk to so many incredible people. Bobby Brown was on our show. Obviously, she built this m- makeup empire um, and the list just goes on and on. And it's been such an incredible life-changing journey for me to do the show. Yeah, that sounds like there is a ton of valuable information packed within there. And Jenna Fisher now, too, is doing Office Ladies with Angela Z, (laughs) which I have been avidly listening to all oh, they're adorable two episodes yeah. right that are out so far and i'm like why is this once a week i need it in my life every <laughs> single day but um yeah it's it's really amazing seeing kind of like that list of people we've gotten to talk to and i i'm curious too so as you started doing the podcast uh did you have people kind of approaching you and reaching out to you saying i want to be on the podcast or were you pitching them like what did that process look like as someone who has a podcast like i'm very curious about that especially Especially when yeah. it comes to talking like to celebrities or someone so, who's very well known. Yeah. One of my main things has always been breaking through and connecting with people doing out doing that outreach. I feel like everyone who's listening and everyone I've ever met has something so worthwhile, but we just don't have momentum. And the momentum comes from doing the outreach. And most of the time we don't send enough of those emails or make enough of those cold calls because we are feeling intimidated. We feel like we're bothering someone and there's a whole, we could have a whole podcast just on that. But my mentality is that every person, ultimately, the one thing everyone wants is to feel important and to feel seen. And every one of us can do that for someone else. And if we're really leading with empathy and we're truly enthusiastic and excited about another person, yeah, there are going to be people who say no, that they're too busy, but there will be people who say yes, they're happy to talk about themselves 
especially if you do it in a way that's super personable and you reach out in a way that's really casual and you're not trying to prove yourself, but you're really trying to make a human connection. I'm really a master of sending emails that are very short and sweet and feel very human and personable and not long-winded and not businessy. And so right from the beginning, I just started sending tons of emails to people who I felt that were really right for the show. And for every 16 people, for every 16 people that said no, one person would always say yes. And it grew. But I can also tell you as a podcaster, doing this now for two and a half years and being somebody who has a top 50 podcast, and I've been interviewed a ton, I've done a lot of speaking about podcasts. I now tell people something that is very surprising, which is that our most downloaded episodes do not correlate to the famous people we've had on. They, they actually correlate to the content and the title of the episode. So when we've had episodes that are about getting unstuck or how to stop overthinking it, those episodes have been downloaded more. When we've had people on who are not as famous, but maybe the title of the episode is How to Live Life on Your Terms, which was what we titled the episode with this woman named Sarah Knight who wrote a book, people downloaded the heck out of that. So what I found about content, same thing about what I just said in sending emails that actually get opened when somebody's going to download your content or make your content viral, it's because the content reflects something that makes them feel seen. It makes them feel like what you're saying or what you're showing or whatever, you, whether you're doing a video or a blog or a podcast, whatever the content is, if it reflects what the person is feeling and thinking, they want more of that. Because everyone who's scrolling, everyone who's on their phone is looking for one thing, which is to feel less alone. And you don't have to say something new if you say something true. So even if you wind up being great at sending cold emails, like I've become really good at that, just know that what's even more important is letting go of shame and speaking the truth and being vulnerable. Because when you do that, words from the heart in that way, go right into the heart and people feel that finally somebody sees them. So that is what actually makes something grow. Um, we can just end the podcast right there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's honestly like I love um, your philosophy on that and creating human connection and just being relatable and just being a person and not so much being a business or a brand, but just creating that right. connection first. Right. And I think that's just such a great way to run any kind of business, any kind of outreach, like any facet of your business, really. I mean, it just makes so much more sense. And, you know, that's truly the way to grow is, is building that connection with your clients, your audience, you know, your competition, whoever, yeah, exactly. um, just creating that personal connection. And so I want to segue into more about your book um, and how that kind of came to be. So obviously, you had the podcast and you're super inspired by all these um, different people coming in and sharing their stories. How did that lead into um, you wanting to write Don't Keep Your Day Job? Um, so basically, you know, what's interesting is people always say to me, you know, how are you going to how am I going to make this happen? I think people are sometimes waiting for their like fairy art mother to come around, which is what my, my friend Andy J Pizza says. It's like, people are waiting for their fairy art mother. I'm like, it's true. People are waiting for this big break. Like everyone thinks someone's going to discover you and say, I'll put you in pictures, kid. Come on. You know, like that kind of thing. But that doesn't happen. And what's amazing is when you go ahead and you start to do and you start to create and you start to think of where you can show up and what that's what you actually have control over, opportunities then come to you because you started to make something. And so I'm just saying that first because a few years before I started the podcast, I wanted to write a book and I had written a book about how to break into the songwriting world, which A, probably wasn't the book I was supposed to write, right? So sometimes you're like trying to like break down a door and it doesn't open and it's because it's not your door 
right? Like it's not the work you're supposed to do. So that's one good lesson. But also nobody wanted to publish a book of mine because I didn't have an audience. And I was just another person who wanted to write a book. And it would probably be really difficult for a publisher to get people on board. Then here I go starting a podcast. We start the podcast. And in like three weeks of the podcast going out into the world, iTunes decides to feature it. So Apple Podcasts like puts it on the banner. They love it. I start being written up. And then in different magazines, people start talking about it. Just because I went ahead and made the thing, right? Without any, without any guarantee that the show would do anything, right? It just made it. And then I get an email from this woman in New York and she says, I'm on the subway. I just listened to your show. You have to write a book. I work in publishing. Can I call you? I'm like, what? Yeah. So she gets on the phone with me and she's like, okay, you have to have a book, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to help you write a proposal. I'm like, oh my God, it's, isn't that amazing? And so we started the proposal process and I wound up getting a few publishing deal offers from a bunch of different publishers. I went with Macmillan. The reason I went with Macmillan is because they challenged me. A couple other publishers said, you know what? This podcast is awesome as it is. Why don't we just make a book and every chapter will be a different episode of the show done. All we need is the transcripts. I'm like, oh, that's so easy, you know, and it would be so good because it's like you can read about Jonathan Adler and Mandy Moore and great. And it's fun. These are great, like personal essays about all these people and how they did what they love. No, Macmillan was like, "Mm -mm, no, if you're going to write a book, Kath, you need to write something that's different than the podcast. You know, People can sit and they could read through all the transcripts and they can listen through the show. But I want you to step back and I want you to decide what are the most essential pieces that people need to hear? What are the steps to take to build your dream job? What are the important mindset shifts? What are the things you really want people to get? And I thought, oh, now I got to really ask myself those questions. But I wanted to make it that. I really felt like that made sense. So it took a long time. It was agonizing. I continued to like go over it and over it and like rewrite things and change things. And um, I wound up writing this book, which is really, it's great. It's a companion to the show. You don't have to have listened to the show to get the book. And you don't have to listen to the show if you read the book because it stands on its own. The book is me sitting down and saying, these are all the things I want you to understand. I want you to, I want you to come home to yourself. I want you to know that it's possible for you to listen to the whisper inside of you and make a living doing what you love. And now I want to help you see clearer what steps you could take to start to put this into the world. And I think people will walk away feeling a jolt of inspiration. And I also think it's a very healing book because a big part of the book is helping you come to terms with what's not feeling good and what you've been sort of pretending to be okay with and bringing you back, arriving at your own door and saying, wait, she's right. Like there's a part of me that I sort of like forgot. There's a six-year-old who lives inside of me who I've been telling to keep quiet for a long time. And I think that this book helps people really feel like I'm going to unbecome what I'm not so I can be who I am. Because I think becoming ourselves is really a lot of unbecoming all the things that people told us to be. And I think the book brings you back to how do I live life on my terms? And I think it's beautiful because it weaves in some of the stories from the show, including some stories of our listeners, because we've had some listeners who I've interviewed after 
doing the show for two years, I wound up asking the audience, does anyone want to write in if the show has helped you in your own life? And we got thousands of emails and we chose 12 of those folks to put on the show. And I did a full length interview with each of them. And one particular story I put in the podcast, I put in the book, this guy, his name is Greg Franklin. He lives in Missouri. He went to work every day. He grew up being told that he should get a real job and get health insurance and just like be a grown up. And so he worked at a factory and he had health insurance and he was miserable. And his job was standing in front of a machine that made plastic bags. And the machine was making plastic bags for dog food, actually. And it sounds like a script. It sounds like I'm making that up, but that was his job. And he did that for years and years and years. And he started listening to the podcast and he felt guilty for even wanting something else because who was he to want something else? He, did, he felt like he had no talent. And I used to tell him, well, I used to tell everybody listening to the show, just be messy. Just try something. Just see where it takes you. And so one day he saw a cheesecake recipe and he decided to make a cheesecake and it was not so good. He forgot that he needed a cheesecloth. And the next day, Facebook saw that he liked cheesecake. So they showed him another recipe. So he made another recipe and he had two cheesecakes that day. And he took one down to the fire station in his little town in Missouri because he said, I can't eat two. Thought you guys might want it. And he got a call the next day from the sheriff and the fire chief said, oh, the sheriff across the street, the police station is having a birthday and we want to make some cheesecake for them. We loved what you made. Could you make us a dozen? And he was like, um, okay. And he did it. And it basically led to him going and making cheesecake every day. And he would walk into town in this little town where he lived and like open the door to the, to the barbershop or the bank or the hairstylist place or whatever and be like, does anyone want to buy cheesecake? And some people looked at him like, Are, is this a joke? Like that's so random. And some people bought the cheesecake and long story short, he kept... Um, he kept updating us actually along the way. We have a don't keep your day job Facebook group and he kept posting along the way when all of this was happening in real time. Long story short, he got fired from his um, day job because there was a problem at one of the machines and he got in trouble. And his friend texted him as he left saying, do you know that today is National Cheesecake Day? Um, and, yeah. <laughs> he, and I remember, yeah, it's crazy. And he posted in the Facebook group, you guys, I just got fired and it's National Cheesecake Day. And so we have it all in real time. We have like a record of it, which is cool. Anyway, he decided to open a cheesecake shop. And he said to his wife, if I can make the rent, I'll keep it for three months and see what happens. Well, the very first day they opened, he made three times the rent in the first day. And he's had the shop now for many months and he's very, very happy. And one of our other listeners said to him, reached out to him and said, I listen to Don't Keep Your Day Job and I heard your story. I own a string of uh, stores, a chain of stores in Missouri. I'd love to carry your cheesecake. And that happened and he's just gotten so much momentum and it's just so cool to see a person happy. So there's stories like that peppered in the book. And then there's also a lot of me just talking right to you. And then there's a lot of like me sharing, extrapolating sort of the best takeaways and wisdom from the podcast. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with this story. <laughs> I know. It's, it's such like, a good story. So you know, like I think it needs to be like an actual, just like a book, but just that story, you know, <laughs> like, I agree. A book, like a cheesecake recipe book with it. But right. that, 
that kind of makes me think of how sometimes I feel like we just get in our own way, you know, or we just expect things to happen on a certain timeline and it doesn't. And I love this example of how it just organically happened for this guy just by like doing what he liked to do and just like following his heart with it. And I think, do do you feel like we get in our own way a lot of times? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We, I think we, we get in our own way purposely because I think that everyone who's listening has been through so much. And the thing that we all want more than the things we say we want is we want to avoid being in pain. And so when we were all kids at some point by the age of like eight or nine, everybody who's listening, everyone in the world, unfortunately has had their heart broken in a thousand pieces. Either someone you love leaves or passes or you reach your arms out to be loved and somebody is unkind to you or you get rejected. I mean, there's just a million things that happen. And so very early on, I think people decide, I know what I'll do. I won't want it because if I want it, it'll hurt. So I'll tell myself I don't want it. And I'll never put myself out there and be messy because the last time I did that and I didn't have it all figured out, it was really painful. So I'll never do anything unless I know it's going to be perfect before I start. And I think it's a survival skill, but it really doesn't work. That's how I am right now (laughs) with like this. (laughs) Carrie and I keep laughing about it because I've had ideas for products for forever, but I keep getting stuck because I just have that desire because I started what I my business right now like a little more helter skelter I really dove in now I think that's why I'm getting hung up on like the next chapter of like if I do these products if I do this new brand this new line I want to have like such and such set up in place beforehand when I really just kind of need to go for it but I'm having a hard time getting over it so like I'm totally getting in my own way I can like relate to everything you just said yeah and there's there's you have to have compassion for yourself because these experiences that we have, like they make a big imprint when we're kids and it forms us. It's sort of like when you think of cement, when it's wet and then it dries and you could like put fingerprints in it, right? And then it dries. It's like sort of hardened, you know, and we have to go back in there, but we can, we can go back in there and change it. One of the things that you can think back to is like, when you think about, kids in preschool, all of those kids dive right in. They like to paint. They like to make music. They like to jump and blow bubbles. And the reason is because they are okay with being messy. And at some point, we don't let that happen. But there is no way. There is no way to make something brilliant unless you have the courage to make something mediocre first. And so the process of letting it not be right is actually where successful people live because it's all beta. There's no arrival. It's always the next best version. Yeah, that's an amazing point. It's true. Like, uh, you know, time is continually ticking away and every moment something might change or be new or different. So like that idea of like permanence within beta is kind of like encouraging because you're like, oh, there isn't really like a true arrival point, you know? There isn't. Um, it's all, that's such a false 
thing to think that that exists. It doesn't. Yeah. Like when people talk about like the definition of success or what does success mean or what does it mean like when you've made it and there's not always like a good answer for that. And actually, I feel like there's a kind of a great transition here for part of the conversation. Like we made a note because we wanted to ask you, like, how do you know when you're ready to quit your day job? We get this question a lot. And a lot of what Cammie and I kind of tell people is like, well, when you know, you'll you'll know, like, (laughs) it's hard to put a definition on that. But do you have any insight for people that are kind of trying to make that leap? Yeah, I think that first of all, we have to understand that people usually build businesses backwards. What, What we normally do is we sit in our head and we go off into our little like cave and we make the thing. And then we wait until it's ready. And then we come out in the world and we say, here world, you should buy this for me here's my business. And then we start to try to convince people to want it. And then it feels really unnatural to convince people of things. And then nothing works. And then we fall apart. So it doesn't work that way. So what has to happen is the opposite. And all of those things that I'm about to lay out that are really sort of what what every successful business has done, you can do these things while you have the day job. And I'll sort of point to what benchmark you would need in order to quit. So what you do is instead of going off in the cave and building it by yourself, the first thing to do is to figure out what, so what's this thing you're building and who is it for, right? So who are you making the thing for? And then when you have the first thing, let's say you're making stationary. So figure out like, am I making this for brides? Am I making this for bat mitzvah girls? Am I making this for baby name? Like who would be the person and what kind of person, right? There's different kinds, you know, there's, the people who like sort of a more anthropology feel. And then there's people who like sort of a like Chanel Louis Vuitton feel, right? Like there's different vibes to things. There's different price points. There's different fishing holes. There's different audiences for different kinds of things. So the question is, who is it for? And so instead of making 15 prototypes, I would make one thing and figure out who I'm making it for. Then I would sit down with those people and say, what do you like about this? What do you want different, different color, different price point, different texture? What are your needs? Where do you need it? What do you need it for? At the heart of everything successful, everything successful, your relationships or your business, it's radical empathy, radical amounts of empathy. So you go right to the person. Then you allow them to help you make the next the next incarnation of it because they're going to give you the answer key. They're going to give you the feedback. If you were going to make dinner for your friend, it's much easier to ask her what she likes than to just in your mind decide you're going to make this incredible three three course dinner with steak and green beans and she finds out you find out like oh she just went vegan. She can't even eat it, right? <laughs> so it's like such a loss. It's just ask. You know, if you think about people whether they're working at Skippy peanut butter or they work at Apple, They spend all their time in focus groups talking to the people who are going to eat this peanut butter, talking to the people who are going to use the iPhone, asking them what features they want, what they need it for, what are their pain points, what are their desires, and then it makes it easy to build it, right? When I was doing music, I realized that when I started to call people at Fox, NBC, Paramount, Lionsgate, ad agencies, I would ask them, what kind of stories are you telling? What kind of songs do you need? And they used to say to me, nobody asks that. All these songwriters all day long just send in these songs that they've written thinking that we're going to find a use for a song that they wrote four years ago where they didn't even know what the project was about. But if you ask Randy Newman, who wrote all the songs for Toy Story, you 
you better believe he had like a thousand meetings with Pixar about what the story is. And then he knows exactly what, what to write. You know what I'm saying? So we build businesses backwards. So I would say while you're creating what it is that you're making and you're working in tandem with the people who you're making it for, I would then start to get to a place where you've hit the bullseye. You've had a few conversations, you've tweaked it, you've folded in the feedback, and now you've made the thing that they want and now you are, you've validated it. The idea has been tested and proven and now you've started to sell it. You've started to sell whether it's the experience you're creating, whether it's a product, whether it's whatever service it is, whatever, you started to sell it. Now, once you've sold a certain amount of that, I would say you can quit. But if you still haven't figured out what it is because you don't know who it's for, then don't quit. You can do that stuff while you're at your job. If you actually quit before you know the answers to those questions, you're going to feel so defeated because it's going to take the patience to keep making and going back and forth with your customer and your client and really understanding what they need. Now, a lot of people don't want to do that at all. They feel like that's selling out. They feel like they should just be inspired. And they forget that we're built to serve. And that the difference between a hobby and a business is that a hobby is about you expressing yourself. And it doesn't matter if anyone else cares. But the virtue of something being a business means somebody paid you, which means somebody traded value, which is monetary value for something that you made that's valuable to them which means a business is serving someone's needs or desires or solving a problem. So we better care. We better care. And it's actually awesome to be able to use our gifts to make the world shinier and brighter. And we still get to do the thing we love. We just get to do it now for someone else also. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I feel like I've said amazing, incredible, fantastic a million times already, like during our conversation. (laughs) But it's all about you guys are so sweet. Yeah, it's all about like taking that time to like really understand your audience. Yeah, so our um, listeners minds are going to be blown with that, (laughs) honestly. But it's kind of we're always telling them to to define your aesthetic, find your style, who like, what are you actually like, what's unique about you and what's unique and special with what you're creating? And how can you like, really find a niche? And um, when it comes to finding a focus group like that, what, how, how would you go about doing that, Kathy? Like, how would you recommend? Are you like, reaching out to people you know, in your circle? Are you finding someone on Instagram? And be like, hey, what do you think of this? Like, what's like a tangible step that our audience could take to actually define their style a little more and find and make sure their product is the right fit? Yeah. So, I mean, right now people will say things like, how am I going to create a focus group? How am I going to get the information and the data? I don't have an audience. It's like, well, you may not have an audience. Like you personally might not have an audience, but your audience exists, right? There might be following someone else or they might be out in the world. So I would ask yourself first and foremost, let's say you were going to create a yoga class for moms. I'd be like, do I know any moms personally who might be the kind of person who would want to take it, right? Like there's low-hanging fruit. I'm sure every person knows a few people in their life who might not already have experience buying from you, but they might be the kind of person that you want to serve. So I might invite them over to my house and say, would you come over and taste the cupcakes I made or look at these invitations and give me your feedback or and then they might lead you to the next person and say, oh, yeah, I'll come. And you know who I'd like to bring? I want to bring so-and-so because she does all the event planning and I think you should get her feedback. Done. Absolutely done. Like everybody is already connected to four or five people who would be in your audience, 100%. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so inspiring right there. Cause it really is almost like a trickle down effect. Like they were like, Oh, you know who would love this card? Yeah. My friend, blah, blah, blah. And it just That's keeps it. on going. <laughs> That's it. And, and the thing that people realize don't realize is like, it really doesn't take much for you to start making money. Let's say like with Greg Franklin, for, for example, um, let's say that he was selling cheesecake for let's say it was like two for 50 bucks, 25 bucks a piece, right? And let's say he would, he would sell them like that. I'm just making it up. So for every 15 orders of two cheesecakes a pop, let's say he sold them like that, that's $750. So every time he did 30, he had 30 customers buying two cheesecakes at 50 bucks, he'd be making $1,500. So if he had 30 people paying $50, by the end of the month, he'd make $6,500. Isn't that crazy? Yes, it's like awesome. That's not really hard. I think we make it harder because it takes away the accountability because we say things like, it'll never work, forget it. And here's the deal. Every single thing you're ever going to do, whether you're going to build a beautiful home or a beautiful marriage or you're going to build a business, it's not going to happen to you. It's going to come through massive action. And that's only going to come when you believe in it. Because why would you take action if you don't really believe? Why would you start looking for a home if you believe that there's no way you'd ever be able to afford it? Why would you begin to take the action to reach out to potential customers when you don't believe that what you're doing is great or that you'd ever be able to make $5 or that, it's, you know, that it would ever sustain you? It's like It goes back to what do you believe is possible? And it goes back to, okay, so I actually don't even have to make a million dollars and I don't need 100,000 customers to do a significant amount. I just need a few people. So then the next question is, how do you scale it? So that's really interesting because then what you do is you say, okay, so who's my audience? Now, where does my audience already hang out? So where can I get in front of more people? Right. Let's say you make invitations, and let's say you really you specialize in invitations for kids' birthday parties. Maybe you reach out to boutiques that already have an audience of kids and moms coming in every day, and you ask if you can sell them their wholesale and leave them at the counter. Like, where else could you go? Where else could you? Well, maybe you can show up at one of these like kids' pottery painting places and see if you can offer a pop up where you show them how to do some hand lettering and then you give people like a prototype of the of the of the card. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we need mm-hmm. to think who we're serving and start to serve one to one. And then the way we scale it is we figure out where that audience already goes and how can we get in front of that audience. And it might also be is that audience already reading certain blogs or magazines? And can we make content and reach out to the people who run those blogs and say, I think your audience would love to see a how-to video on this or to read what my experience is on the best way to budget when you're throwing a bat mitzvah or a sweet 16 and you need to figure out how to like do your cards in the best way or here's how to make DIY cards of the, the thing I just made. Like, There's so many ways to get in front of your audience on a bigger scale once you know who they are. Totally. And what I'm hearing from this, what it boils down to is just basically outreach and just like getting outside yeah. of your yourself mm-hmm. and whether that's to your, your audience or the things your audience loves, but just making those connections. And I think we've yep. 
tried to reiterate that time and time again, that you have to make those connections to grow and not so much in a networking sense either, but in a like relation relationship sense and, you know, making those different types of connections. Like you said, the blogs and the gift guides and the, you know, magazines, what, whatnot, like the in-person classes, those kinds of things can be totally, you know, different opportunities to get in front of them and start growing your business in a new way. Yeah, totally. Agree. Is there any way to like make this step (laughs) of like getting, you know, the transition into moving away from your day job or outreach or anything like that? Is there any advice you have to make it less scary just because we're talking about how we like get in our way or we're afraid? Like what are those things we can like tell ourselves to affirm ourselves to go just go out there? Yeah, there's something called pluralistic ignorance. And I learned that word like six or seven months ago, and I learned what it means. And it's so important to keep in mind. Basically, everyone suffers from imposter syndrome. And we get scared to reach out because we don't think we're enough. And we worry that we're going to bother someone. This idea of pluralistic ignorance is this idea that we have flaws, but other people don't. We don't see other people as close up as we see ourselves. So we know our own insecurities. We know how we self-sabotage. We know all of that. But we don't know that about other people. So we take on this pluralistic ignorance as if other people are where they are because they don't have those flaws. And so who are we to reach out? We're going to be like, you know, oh my God, who am I to do this? Or am I going to be annoying? Or will I even, will they even like me? And we forget that they're dealing with all of those things. Like even Beyonce has a bad day. Like she's struggling, you know? So when you you think about people, I think knowing that first is really helpful. I also think that something that um, Daniel Pink said to me when he was on my show was really good. He said that when when you think about sharing your gift with the world and you think, oh, I don't know if I want to do outreach because I don't want to bother someone or be a burden. He said, if you have anything, whether it's a donut or a piece of software or art, anything at all that you know is going to make the world more beautiful, he said, you have a moral obligation to share that with the world because God doesn't give you a gift for you to be selfish and keep it to yourself. He said, you are obligated to make sure that you put that in the world. And when you think about it that way, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. Like I think about all the things that make my life colorful. It's the art, it's the music, it's the restaurants that we go to, it's the beautiful glass of rosé, it's the parks, it's the installations that my kids and I will go buy tickets to. If those people said, why am I going to sell this? Why am I going to make this? Why am I going to build this boutique? Where would we all be? right? Like there's that great line. I'm going to butcher it because I don't remember it exactly. But in that amazing movie, Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, his character, he says, you know, boys, he said, there's math and there's science. And it's so important because it's what, it's what keeps us all living. But it's poetry and art and music that we live for. And if we, if we don't put those things in the world, we're depriving the world of that color. And it's not okay. Like it wasn't given to us to keep to ourselves. 
And not only that, but what people don't recognize, which I wish they would, is that the more that we do the thing we love, not only do we wind up giving that thing to the world, you give other people permission to do their thing because they see you making a living doing hand lettering or you making a living making cherry pie or cheesecake and they think, that's so cool. Maybe I can be a dancer. Maybe I can write my screenplay. Maybe I can host a poetry slam. And that's where the magic is. Hmm. I love how this is so much of like thinking outside of the box in a way a lot of us haven't before because I feel like it's pretty easy for me to say my generation, like being a millennial just gets caught up in Instagram, you know, of like, right. oh, I'm just going to put it on there and hope that that's enough rather than like actually touching lives in a tangible way. Like the guy that took, yeah. literally took his cheesecake into people. He wasn't like, posting photos of it he was like here i i brought you my cheesecake like i'm here to make your day better and make a difference yep exactly well i feel like we have covered a ton um we had (laughs) we had like several other questions and things too but everything you have said is absolute gold we're kind of like reaching that hour mark so at this point i think it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about like when we can purchase don't keep your day job um because you said it's officially in stores november 12th did i get that yeah okay it's it's, it's in stores (laughs) november 12th and for anyone who's listening now i'm actually offering a free two-hour live workshop on november 11th online and if you miss it live we will send you the replay and you can grab that um if you buy a copy and you buy a copy for a friend if you get these two copies you get that as a bonus but there's other bonuses even if you buy one copy so i would definitely go grab a copy i think that you will you know love giving this book to friends because it encourages people to arrive home to themselves and i think that that's a really important thing especially because over the next five to 10 years, 50% of the jobs are going to be gone. And it's really a time more than ever to be creative because that's not replaceable, you know, being yourself. So um, it's time to build our own dreams. And I'd love to see you guys buying the book. I think that it would really, it's like my love letter to you. So go grab the book. You can pre-order it on Barnes and Noble. You can pre-order on Amazon and then go to don'tkeepyourdayjob.com slash book bonus so that you can let us know you bought it and we'll send you the bonuses. That's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome that there's bonuses too. Like, I just got so excited. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I know. I can't wait to buy the book. And I'm like, I'll buy a copy for Elizabeth. I'll buy the two and give one to Elizabeth. That's all perfect. <laughs> but and then Kathy, where can everyone find you on social media too if they want to connect with you? Yeah. There? So um, I love doing Instagram now. I just started that not that long ago, but I love it. And I'm there almost every day. And I read every DM. I'm at Kathy.Heller and Kathy's with a C. And, uh, and then the podcast is wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, perfect. That's awesome. And we'll make sure too that within our show notes that we're going to be linking to your site and all that good stuff so that people can continue to find you. And thank you so much for dedicating an hour of your time today. And, um, some of, Oh, it was so fun. You guys are so good at what you do. This is one of my favorite interviews ever. And I'm not just saying that. Oh, oh. <laughs> that means so much. Thank you. We like to have fun with this. We're, we're, you know, it's our, it's our baby. So I, um, I would say we're either pros or we just have no idea what we're doing. And somehow that amounts that's to, definitely <laughs> true. it's great. Oh, I love it. Perfect. Oh, uh, but yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, Kathy. This has been 
amazing. I know our listeners are going to like listen to this and be like, holy bananas after they turn off the episode. Uh, you're so sweet. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there's going to be like tons of note taking. I can already tell like so many quotable moments, you guys. Oh, it's just I like Step Brothers, except better. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, I have one more question for Kathy. This is oh, like yeah, random, a random personal question, but like what part of LA are you in, if you don't mind sharing? Um, I live right outside in the hills in Beverly Hills. Okay. In Beverly Hills. Nice. I have family in Santa Monica. And the only reason I was asking is because every year they do this like gigantic haunted house. It was like the haunted house that inspired the modern family mm-hmm. episode about their haunted house in the early season. No way. So I didn't know if you had ever happened to like go. It's like my aunt and uncle do this no. huge thing. No, but that sounds amazing. Actually, I have to say, in Beverly Hills, you guys could Google it. There's the witch's house from Hansel and Gretel. And there's a whole block of these like crazy big mansions. And all the houses are like decked out. It's actually a little bit too much. Like <laughs> there's thousands of kids that you can't even get through. You're like, I just oh want a Twizzler. Um, but uh, but it's I, I got to check that out. Yeah, we live... Um, we live out of downtown up in the, up in the trees, okay. but we're, but, but like, yeah, Santa Monica would be cool. I have three little kids. So Halloween is a big deal around yeah. here. And I mean, <laughs> I had to sneak that in because like this episode's going to air two days before Halloween. So everyone's like in the awesome. mood. It's spooky month. Yeah. My nails are planted black. Spooky. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, um, what are you guys going to dress up as? Uh, I'm like always a cat. I know. But normally I do really punny costumes. And then now that I'm older, I'm just like, I just always forget about Halloween at the last minute. Oh my gosh, it's ruining everything. But Me too. Anyway. Well, my my <laughs> seven-year-old uh, is going to be a black cat. And then yeah. uh, my six-year-old is going to be a character from Descendants because that's like the thing that all the kids watch. And then my youngest, she's three. And I begged her to be something else, but she's going to be Elsa again. <laughs> all kids. <laughs> It's just like, can't, I, there's a million things to be. She's like, Elf. <laughs> well, the movie is coming out too. So that's going to go on for I another know. two years. So just be prepared because oh, yeah. Mount Frozen oh, yeah. 2 is coming out. But exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. I would say for me, I don't have anything planned for this year. But one year I was a cheese grater and I like made it out of um, oh cardboard. God, <laughs> and it was a, a so last cute. minute costume and it was awesome. It's so funny because I don't think I've ever seen anyone else be a cheese grater before. It was just like entirely random and so hilarious <laughs> and homemade. <laughs> now you're making me think I need to actually go get a costume because it's my kids every year. I shouldn't just like go out with a black t-shirt. I should do something. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to think of something to be. Okay, listen, I told my husband this year that we would, instead of me being a cat, that we would dress up as crows and be attempted murder. Huh? Oh, huh? But I haven't found a cute like way to do the crow. So I'm still <laughs> thinking on that. And we never go anywhere. So there's like no point. But uh, anyway. I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with this cute anecdote because I love talking about Halloween. I never talk yes. about it. Uh, when I was three, I won the Halloween costume contest at my local park where I grew up. Because I was dressed up like Strawberry Shortcake. And that was the cutest costume. My mom sewed the dress by hand. And then I had this little bonnet, which was like, (laughs) picture like a shower cap, but like, you know, with the elastic. But Mm -hmm. she made it and it was so cute. And I have freckles. And uh, I won. And that was so fun. It was like a highlight of my life. (laughs) 
Yes, I love this. This is our Halloween episode, and it's making me so happy. <laughs> I know. And what's your favorite candy before we get off? Ooh, ooh, oh, Reese's or Sour Patch Kids for me. Oh, but you went you went in two different directions. There. I know. I, like I know. You're either chocolate or gummy person. <laughs> You were both. I honestly like. I'm a huge M and M's person. I don't know why. I don't know if it's really? like a pack and like the individual pieces you are easy to please. just like make okay. me really happy. Um, but also Reese's has come out with the new Reese's Thins. That's just like oh, a thinner version of a Reese's out. cup, and not not because oh, it like good. will help you lose weight. I think it's a funny name that they call it. It's oh just literally God, because it's so like funny. it's literally just because it's like actual size is thinner but there's something about that and like the size of it that and it's perfect. It is perfect it reminds me of the size of an oreo oh oreos does that count as a candy <laughs> no Dang it. Uh-uh. you can't say oreo no, no it doesn't count oh uh, <laughs> i would go with um swedish fish red it's just oh, the no. red ones no 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 uh, i mean i, I can eat a gallon bag a red swedish fish and then i would also go with the pink and red starburst oh oh classic oh, yeah and like, that's it that's my that's my final thoughts on cammy you're not allowed all your cammy you're not allowed to tell kathy she can't like sweetest fish <laughs> I, I can do what i want okay, okay. i get it I think I my my mom also loves Swedish fish. I don't know something from like her childhood or something. So they're so good. You guys are crazy. Y'all are wild. I don't even know. Hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we keep rambling on about candy, even though clearly it's a passionate subject here, yes, it is. <laughs> um, we just want to let you guys know if you love this episode, to please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us so much. We continue to grow and bring on awesome guests like Kathy. And then, of course, if you have any questions, you can submit them at bizbirthdaybash.com slash Q&Cake. We will answer them on our Q&Cake episode and get back to you guys with all of your questions. Awesome. Yay. Thank you again one more time. I know we've said it a million times, but our audience is going to love this. And now I feel like because of what you said before, I have to make sure we come up with a super catchy title (laughs) so that they'll all download (laughs) it and listen to it. So if you have ideas, you let us know. I would say something like, you know, how to live life on your terms, or uh, I would say something like how to stop overthinking it. Oh, that's a good one. I do like something about overthinking it. And living life on your terms. Okay. With Swedish fish. <laughs> yes, with Swedish fish. Of course. She gets it. Um, all right, guys. I'm going to run to another podcast that's waiting for me. But you guys were awesome. Thank you. When is this coming out? It is coming out actually next week. It's literally going to come out October 29th. So we have a real quick turnaround because we're having the, the scheduling. But we are, we got it in place and it will be up. So well, thank you for doing thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, Bye. guys. Have an awesome one. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye, honey. Hey guys, Elizabeth here. Just wanted to hop in and talk about one of Cami and I's amazing resources called the A to Z directory. I know that all of us have thought at some point, how did she do that? Or how did she make that? And maybe you just don't know where to start and how the heck to produce the product that you've dreamt up. While the A to Z directory is the missing puzzle piece in your biz, and it is actually a yearly membership that is a one-stop shop to every supplier you need to create anything from wedding invitations to coasters, mugs, napkins, greeting cards, and more. And we even have resources for drop shippers, where to produce a bunch of different things. And essentially, we just wanna help you guys search less and create more. 
This resource is a really great deal at $147 per year. It also includes access to our private Facebook group where you can ask any questions you have and get the answers you need at the drop of a hat, which is awesome. It's a really great community over there. So head over to bizbirthdaybash.com directory to get more information and to sign up today.